You know, a shortcut to frustration in your Christian life is to confuse your part with God's part. And when you get this wrong, you will constantly struggle to do better by trying harder. Now, getting stuck in performance mode is not what Jesus wants for you. You know, as an example, let's just go back to the time of the early church and ask ourselves how that ragtag group made up of fishermen and a tax collector, a thief, a zealot, and a few assorted others became the apostles through whom Jesus established his church. And these same men, with the exception of Judas Iscariot, went on to spread the gospel to the whole known world within just 30 years. Now, was that by trying hard? You know, this is the same group that bickered like seventh grade girls, and they slept through the most difficult hours of Jesus's time in the Garden of Gethsemane just prior to his arrest and crucifixion. You know, when I think about this, there is only one possible answer to how this group did it. They did it through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And you know, in speaking of the Holy Spirit, J. Oswald Sanders writes, God, who knows the full extent of human inadequacy, has made adequate provision for this universal need. In her devotional called Everyday Holy, Melanie Schenkel puts it like this, the Holy Spirit releases all the power of heaven into our hearts and our lives. All we have to do is ask. You know, I'm Kelly J. Grace, and this is Divine Connections, a podcast about connecting the truth you believe to the life you really live. And today we're continuing to talk about self-control. And here's the bottom line. The secret to effortless self-control is in choosing to be spirit-controlled. This is episode 20. Listen in. So today I'm sharing the secret sauce, the most transforming truth that I've discovered about having self-control over my thoughts, my words, and my time. Now, am I perfect in these areas? Of course not. But I have grown, and I'm still growing, as the Holy Spirit guides and provides, as He inspires, and yes, as He corrects me. Do you remember from the last episode that city with the broken-down walls described in Proverbs twenty-five twenty-eight? It says there, a person without self-control is like a city with broken-down walls. Now, that is a vivid picture in our minds of vulnerability without self-control. When we don't have self-control, we are vulnerable like that ancient city with the broken-down walls. And that scripture is true, and the picture it paints is something, wow, that sadly we've all seen in far too many lives, and sometimes even in our own. I mean, you've experienced it as a mom with squabbling kids, or in traffic when you get rudely cut off and then you miss your exit, or when your hubby makes a mess in the kitchen just five minutes after you left that whole space all tidy and sparkling clean. 
we have all had moments of kind of being overdrawn at the bank of self-control, right? There just wasn't anything there when we needed it. So I want to talk for a minute, though, about where things go off the rails for us in this area of self-control, especially as modern Americans. You know, our culture, our culture here in America promotes the whole idea of being a self-made person. I mean, the very backbone of the American story is a story of the self-made person who succeeds by hard work and diligent performance, right? That cultural bias pushes us toward what I call performance mode. And in our Christian life, that performance mode is a recipe for two things, for distance and discouragement, distance from God and discouragement with ourselves. And, you know, I fell into that mode about five years into my Christian experience. I had walked with the Lord about five years, and it was the 70s, and there was a very popular conference speaker going all around, and he was teaching, and I'm going to use that phrase that Jesus used, he was teaching as doctrine the try-harder method. And sadly, I got snagged up and caught in his net. And the idea was simply this, that all you had to do was memorize the verses in the Bible that spoke to any area of life, and then you just would grit your teeth and you would do or not do, fill in the blank, whatever it was, right, in that particular area. You just did it by force of self-will. Now, in all of his teaching, the Holy Spirit was never mentioned. He never turned to Romans 8, that beautiful chapter that describes for us the this divine force that dwells within us, this person of the Godhead called the Holy Spirit, who was a the promise of the Father, Jesus said. He was the comforter that would come, and Jesus said to the early disciples, he's the one who's with you and he shall be in you and he's going to guide you and lead you. He's going to empower you. All of that is in Romans 8. I would tell you, just make a cup of tea sometime and sit down and read Romans 8 and look at how many times the Apostle Paul mentions the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit, though, was never mentioned in this teaching. And it was kind of like God was watching from his judgment seat ready to dispense acceptance and blessing if you got it right, if you performed well, and punishment and shame if you didn't, if you failed. Now, I think you can see how completely destructive and harmful that idea is. It is so corrosive to a relationship with God, especially as my Heavenly Father. And the other thing is it's dismissive of the powerful gift of the indwelling Holy Spirit. It's like, oh, that doesn't matter. You can do this yourself. Well, I think you and I both know from experience, we cannot. In fact, that's probably why you're listening to a podcast called The Effortless Way to Self-Control. I mean, you've tried everything else, right? You're looking for this. Well, thankfully, God led me to a group of fellow believers who simply by correct teaching, and really by their own example, showed me that God's plan for my sanctification 
and his power was to conform me to the image of Christ. It was through his power, not my own effort. Now, as God's children, you and I have to let divine truth inform and shape our thinking about self-control. Because otherwise, especially as Americans, we're going to fall into that performance mode to the, again, as I said in the first episode about self-control, we're going to focus on that first word, self, instead of recognizing God's plan for this. So I'm going to suggest to you three things that you and I need to focus on three things. We have to first make connection a constant in our lives. By closing the distance between ourselves and God, each and every day and all throughout the day, we have to keep returning to Him. If we've wandered into that land of self where we're going to live the Christian life in our own strength, our own wisdom, our own ability and power, instead We're going to start letting ourselves be pulled over and over again into the orbit of God's presence, of His love, and of His grace. So the first thing we're going to do is we are going to make connection with God a constant in our daily life. And then we're going to make dependence on Him our default by resorting to Him to help us to think and say and do what's right in the moment. So again, make dependence our default position by going over and over again to God. Now, I don't know if you've ever read the book of Nehemiah, but Nehemiah has a lesson for all of us about dependence as our default. Listen to this quick prayer that Nehemiah offers in Nehemiah 1.11. He says, O Lord, I pray, Please let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant, and let your servant prosper this day, I pray, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man, for I was the king's cupbearer. Now, this is what I've often heard called an arrow prayer. It's a quick prayer shot up to God in a moment of need. Nehemiah is going in before the king. He's the cupbearer. He is the what you and I would call the royal taster. He's the one whose job it is to be there with the king and taste his food and his beverage to make sure no one's trying to poison him. So, I mean, that's a dangerous job in and of itself, right? But the other component of this job is it is unlawful. It is actually an offense punishable by death for Nehemiah to show any sadness or distress in the presence of the king. Now, this is kind of like Esther. Remember in the book of Esther, even though she's queen, she cannot just walk into the king's presence. She must be summoned, and yet she had not been. And her uncle Mordecai encouraged her to go into the king and ask this favor. Well, so here, Nehemiah has proximity to this powerful king, and he has a huge burden on his heart for And as it happens, for the walls of Jerusalem, which are a shamble, they've all fallen down and the gates have been burned with fire. And Nehemiah is going to go into the king and ask that he be able to go to Jerusalem and do something about this. Well, 
without, though, any long preamble, no big prayer meeting, just in the need of the moment there in his job as cupbearer, he prays that arrow prayer, grant me mercy in the sight of this man, for I was the king's cupbearer. So my exhortation to you is that you learn to pray arrow prayers before you say or do something that you know will not glorify God. A thought maybe pops into your mind, but you can toss that thought out with an arrow prayer. You don't have to think that thing, say that thing, or do that thing that's not going to bring glory to God. That prayer can be as simple as, Lord, let me only think thoughts that are true, right, and praiseworthy. Just a quick one-liner from Philippians 4.8, okay? So an arrow prayer, Lord, give me the patience with this child who's throwing a tantrum. Lord, give me the patience with my husband who I love, but he just made a big old mess in the kitchen. Whatever it is, we can pray in the moment. And again, what is it? Dependence is our default. We are not going to default to our own reservoir of strength, we're going to default to God and make dependence on Him that automatic response. Then the last thing is we have to make reliance on Him a reflex. And this is a similar thing by focusing on receiving spiritual strength. Make that your prayer. Rely on God's provision of strength. And that happens as you learn bit by bit to be led by the Holy Spirit in the moments of your everyday life. Again, Romans 8, 14 says, Those who are led by the Spirit are the sons of God. Are you a child of God? Then this is His promise to you. This is His provision for you to lead you by the Holy Spirit. Rely on that leading. Start expecting it. Start seeking it. Start looking for it. How is the Holy Spirit leading? In that moment, you need to just pray that prayer. Open my eyes. Show me. Again, I would say, in terms of reliance being our reflex, I want to point you to Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. Listen to this. Now, this is what the Bible calls a benediction, or you've probably heard this at the closing of a church service uh, or a message. But listen to these words. These are what I call everyday words for you and I. We can't reserve this for Sunday after the service, you know, is ending to hear the, the minister say these words. This is truth for you and I Monday through Saturday all day long. It says this, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly, and I didn't mix that up. They both have an L-Y at the end. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. To him be glory in the church by Jesus Christ to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Rely on his power. It is exceedingly abundantly above all that you ask or think. So again, remember to make connection a constant. You're going to keep yourself practicing the presence of God throughout the moments of your day. And when you become aware that you've not been practicing that presence, just that in and of itself is the reminder 
Father, you're here. You're with me. Then dependence is your default. You're going to look for and seek and expect the leading of the Holy Spirit. And reliance is your new reflex. You're going to let it become automatic for you to rely on the Holy Spirit. And I promise you, the more you do this, the more natural it will feel to you. You know, the Holy Spirit uses the Word of God to guide us, doesn't He? He brings scripture to our remembrance. And I want want you to notice that it says remembrance. That means that you've read or heard or been exposed to it before. This is not revelation of some obscure verse you've never seen before. Now, the Holy Spirit could do that. But our part in this, your part in this, is to feast I'm using that word feast, to feed on, to take in, to feast on God's word and give the Holy Spirit a deep well of divine truth to draw on in helping you live as a child of God. So here again, I started this by saying we we create a problem for ourselves when we confuse God's part and our part in our Christian life. So here, your part is to feast on God's Word. Read it, listen to it, sing it in hymns and songs, and keep exposing yourself over and over again so that when He is coming to your aid to help you with self-control, the Holy Spirit has this deep well of divine truth that He can draw from that you've already exposed yourself to, and he's going to show you how to apply it in the moment, how to draw from it the spiritual strength you need. You know, I think we make spiritual growth and our walk with God this kind of mystical thing like we can't understand how it happens. I want you to think about your own children. How do your children grow? You feed them. They get rest. And in those things... Their bodies do what God designed them to do, grow. You are a new creature in Christ. How do you grow? You take in God's word, which the scripture calls milk for the babe and meat for the mature. Depending on where you are in that spectrum of spiritual growth, just keep taking in God's word. And the Holy Spirit uses that word to grow you up, to grow you in grace and in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Now, I want to share with you just a few of my favorite scriptures, and I'm going to challenge you to make your own list. But in case this is brand new to you, you've not thought like this before about really about how to use the scriptures, how to offer them back up to the Holy Spirit as a well of power that he's going to trigger and put into effect in your life. This is a reservoir of resource for him. So these are a few of the scriptures that I have kind of curated for myself. My favorite list of scriptures that relate to self-control of my thoughts, of my words, and of my time. Okay? Now, the first is not going to surprise you because you've heard this, I don't know, maybe as often as every other episode in this podcast so far. Romans 12, 2, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So once again, it is through God's word that our minds are renewed and we ourselves are transformed. 
Then the second, so that was Romans 12 too. The second is Proverbs 4.23. And Proverbs 4.23 says, guard your heart. Now that Old Testament word heart is your mind, your will, and your emotions. Okay, so the thoughts you think, the choices you make, and the things you love or attach yourself to. But guard especially your mind, with all diligence, for from it proceed the issues of life. Now, you know this to be true. Everything you think translates into the things you say and the things you do. Next is 2 Corinthians 10.5, and I know we've covered this verse again. This Actually, that whole little passage there in 2 Corinthians 10 is a beautiful explanation of what real spiritual warfare is. Maybe you remember that uh, movie, The War Room? And I think that captivated some Christians with the idea that there is a spiritual battle that you and I can participate in. We're in it, whether we know it or not. You're on the battlefield. But whether or not you're participating, whether or not you've suited up and you've got your armor on, that's another question. But this verse comes from that whole passage. So if you're curious about that, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and read that passage. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not of this world, but they are mighty in God. These are spiritual weapons to take down those forces that raise themselves up against Jesus Christ. They come against you and I as we're trying to walk as children of God and followers of Christ. So 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. So again, in our minds, we are, and we've talked in connection with this about Philippians 4.8, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, right, honorable, praiseworthy, think on those things. So those different eight words that we said are like They're like a big colander that we're letting our thoughts flow through, and only the things that meet one of those eight criteria stay in the colander. Everything else passes through and goes down the drain. So, 2 Corinthians 10.5, taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And then the last, this is a little longer passage. This is from Proverbs 24. But this passage is so beautiful in its description, really, of spiritual growth and what happens when you and I take in God's Word. It says this, by wisdom a house is built. So think on Jesus talking about that house built on the sand, which we know is a life built on things that are transitory or built on the rock, which is Jesus Christ himself. So by wisdom, a house or a life is built, and by understanding, it is established, and by knowledge, the rooms are filled, and I love this visual, and by knowledge, the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. A wise man is strong, and a person of knowledge increases power, for by wise guidance, you will wage your own war. And in an abundance of counselors, there is victory. Oh, can I just say to you, let the word of God give you a multitude of good and wise counselors. And think of those verses that you're putting into that deep reservoir for the Holy Spirit to draw from. Think of those verses as good and wise counselors. They're going to point you to the right way to think 
and speak and how to use your time in any area of your life. So again, I just love that idea that you and I, our life in Christ is being built and it happens by wisdom and by understanding as we accumulate it over time, interacting with God's Word and letting His Holy Spirit show us how it applies to our life. Now, the last verse I'm going to share here on our thoughts, this is kind of the bridge between our thoughts and our words. And this is just that short little passage out of Luke 6.45, where Jesus says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth will speak. Now, you might think that your biggest problem with self-control is the things you say. You know, you're, you fly off the handle with your kids, you say something kind of snarky to a friend, or you reveal a secret, some a confidence that someone shared with you, and, you know, you're gossiping, you're spreading it around. James says, boy, if you don't stumble in the way you use your words, in the things you say, then you are mature indeed. So we all have trouble with this. So why not start with that? Why do our thoughts first? Well, this is why. Because it's out of the abundance of our heart or the things that we think that our mouth then speaks. So instead of starting by trying to control just our words, I want you to get to the deeper level of your thoughts. And then, then you will find it easier to curb your tongue when you've first let the word of God purify your heart. So don't start with just trying to control your words. You'll never be able to do that. Truly, out of the abundance of your heart, your mouth will speak. So you've got to do that work of going deeper to the level of what you are allowing yourself to think. And as Jesus said, all evil proceeds from the heart, from our thoughts. He says all slandering, cursing, lies, angry outbursts, envy, jealousy, murders, all of it starts in the heart. They start with our thoughts. So how are we going to short circuit that? Well, once again, the word of God comes to the rescue and Ephesians 4.29 tells us, let no unwholesome word come out of your mouth. But if there is any good word for edification, according to the need of the moment, say that so that it will give grace to those who hear. Now, that's a little bit more of a modern translation. When I memorized that verse years ago, it was in the old King James. But I like that it says, if there's any good word for edification, according to the need of the moment, say that. (laughs) That's the thing to say. You know, the truth is sometimes we just need to put our hand over our mouth and not allow those words that hurt or defile to come out of our mouth. But instead, whatever gives grace to anyone who hears you, say that. That's the thing to say. Now, I sometimes picture literally the Holy Spirit holding up a big red stop sign. You know, there's that prompting in my mind. You're getting close to saying something that it has a bad motive. Are you jealous? Are you envious? Are you just being unkind? Are you trying to go for the cheap laugh, so to speak? And so you're going to say something that maybe is coarse or, you know, just there's no edification in it. So stop that. That's when I picture the Holy Spirit with his big red stop sign. And that image helps me check my words. And 
do that little test. Is there any potential for grace in this thing I'm about to say? If not, then don't say it. Now, on to our time. And this is another thing I think we struggle with, is how to use our time. Because the truth is, all of us, I used to think this was just moms with young kids or super busy professional people. But the truth is, we are all anymore literally feeling the overwhelm of frenzy, of too much to do, too many things to pay attention to. And it's like a dog that's just nipping at our heels continually. We cannot get ahead of it. And, um, you know, uh, you and I, there's a word for us in the scripture about our time. And so I think we need to take just take a minute, take a deep breath, and ask God, show us, Lord, we need wisdom about this. So the classic scripture on our time is found in Ephesians 5, 15 to 16. And that says this, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Now, it just so happens that I'm also currently reading Jordan Raynor's book called Redeeming Your Time. Now, he's a believer, and he brings his faith and his, really, his commitment to walk with God, he brings it to bear on this whole subject of time and productivity. And, you know, you might see this book, Redeeming Your Time, and think it's, you know, it's maybe in in the business section or something. And it probably is because it's got tons of tools for productivity and managing the many, many things that you and I have in our day and in our lives in this modern world. But here's a line from this book that really challenges me. He says, this book accounts for how the author of time managed his time. What he's saying is that Jesus is the perfect role model for us in managing our time, in getting through each day, having done the will of God. Oh, to lay my head down at night and feel that I managed my time in the Jesus style, oh, that alone would be heaven. And the idea captures each piece that we just read in Ephesians 5, 15 and 16. The scripture, it says Jesus walked carefully. The Old Testament word is circumspectly. It means walking with a full circle look at your conduct. You know, in wisdom, making the best use of his time in order to accomplish the will of God and finish the work he was sent to do. Now, I don't know if you've ever thought, I never had, thought of Jesus in these terms. But now, as I each time I dip into the Gospels and I'm reading the story of those years of Jesus's ministry, his public ministry, and how he would say, we have to go on to another village, or I want to go this way or that way, how was he making those decisions? And what Jordan Raynor is saying is, Jesus, he shows us how to walk circumspectly, how to take a full circle look at how I'm using my time, and then in wisdom to make decisions that help me make the best use of that time. I want you to just stop a minute when you think about Jesus and how he used his time 
and all of the things that he did. When you read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you see all of these accounts of, you know, the woman at the well he met or the night he healed Peter's mother-in-law and then the whole town came and brought all the sick people or they they tear the tiles off the roof and let a man down through on a cot for him to heal all these he's going through and he sees Zacchaeus up in the tree you know come on down I'm going to your house today like the old Sunday school song whatever it was we see Jesus interacting with people we see him ministering we see him living a life that's limited in time. And you and I share that with Jesus. You and I have 24 hours in a day, and who knows how many days of life we have. So the question is, how are we using it? And here's, this is the thing that came to my mind in the way Jesus used his time, is that cry from the cross when Jesus said, it is finished. Whatever your day holds, I promise you there is time for the will of God in that day. Let the Holy Spirit guide your choices. Let Him set your priorities. Let Him inspire your use of God's gift of time. And hopefully at the end of each day when we lay our heads down on the pillow, we can say, in this day, it is finished. I did God's will in this day. I maybe didn't get a single other thing done. Maybe God's will that day was that I rock and tend to a child with a high fever and a nagging cough. Maybe it was that a neighbor's emergency drew me in and I spent the rest of the day caring for her kids while she attended to something. Whatever it might be, whether it was planned and in your day runner or whether it was completely out of left field and it came and overwhelmed your plan for the day. I want each of us to be able to know when we lay down at night, it is finished. I did what God led me to do, what He brought into my life today, and be content with that. Let that be the preamble to a night's uh, sleep and rest and restoration, knowing you did the will of God that day. Will you pray with me? Father, we're at your throne of mercy yet again, asking that you fill us to overflowing with your Holy Spirit and simply teach us how to follow him. Lord Jesus, you said your sheep hear your voice. Will you teach us to listen before we go on thinking or we speak or we act? Would you be God over our thoughts, our words, and the way we spend the moments of our day. We thank you for grace and for truth. We thank you for sunrise and then a sunset that bookends our day. I pray that you would help us to seek enough quiet to hear from you, and you would give us the spiritual strength to then follow what we hear. Father, help us to hold you close in our hearts every waking moment. We ask 
for self-control as a gift of the Spirit that comes from abiding in you, not from trying hard ourselves. Remind us of this precious, powerful resource available to us by the working of your indwelling Holy Spirit and that beautiful, renewed life that we have in you. Lord, I pray you'd help us to exercise it and bring glory to you by everything that we think and we speak and we do. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to thank you again for listening. And if you haven't yet, I want to invite you to hit the follow button so you'll be notified of a new episode when it goes live. And I'm just going to say as a little disclaimer here, I know the number one rule in podcasting is be consistent. Well, I'm breaking that rule. And you have to trust me, I have a good reason for it. There's some other stuff going on in my life with a sick family member, and that gets priority over this. As much as I love you and I want to speak God's truth and His grace into your life, you know, you remember our lives are those concentric circles of first your relationship with the Lord, then your own husband or close family, extended family, your own community, and then outward to the world. Well, this person's in my real close family, so they're priority over you. And I know that you understand that sometimes that's what happens. So I just pray that you will receive what you need to receive in the right time. And I'm Believe me, I'm doing the best I can. So if you would consider, though, leaving a review, just a sentence or two, telling other people what you've found here, I would appreciate that so much. It does help them know, you know, if I listen to this podcast, am I going to waste my time or is there something there? Well, if you found something that helped you, why don't you share that and let somebody else know? Because maybe they're looking for the same thing that blessed you. I'm on Instagram at Kelly J. Grace. And of course, you can always find other resources for your spiritual growth at kellyjgrace.com. Thanks again for listening, for being here, and I will see you next time.